Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's spring, and what better way to put a spring in your step than by buying some comfy knickers or pants? That is how it works right I mean when I was a kid if you bought new trainers and everyone said you'd be able to run faster so I guess if you buy new pants then you might be able to put a spring in your oh no bum wait that's wait okay that's wrong yes anyway uh, while we all know the wonderful British boxers do an incredible range of things to sleep in it's now nearly sunny outside again you know in that way where it's also a bit cold but you're still going to need a new t-shirt hoodie or new pants to go and try it in before you then have to go back inside and get your jacket and British boxers have a brilliant range of all of those things as well as pajamas that you're probably still going to need for work until at least 2023. British boxers are an independent, ethically excellent lot who make actually nice lounge and casual wear that you can wear inside or outside, but, you know, with shoes on as well because you're sensible. Head to British-Boxers.com and use the code PARPOLBRO10 and you'll get 10% off whatever you order. You might accuse me of being in the pockets of Big Pyjama and I'd say, no, actually, I'll take a medium and my pockets have an old tissue in because that's tradition. It's just always there. I don't even know where it's come from. It's really strange. It's every... Pajama pocket, it's always an old tissue. Hello and welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast, the comedy politics podcast that would never ever get involved in lobbying. But that's usually because I can't get past security at the door, let alone into the reception area without someone saying, you look a bit scruffy, what are you doing around here? Oi, get out and it all gets really messy. I'm Tin and but this week, as Prime Minister and Idol representing the god of thrift heaps, Boris Johnson, condemns proposals for English football teams to join a closed European Super League as clubs must answer to their fans... I think it's weird, as based on his premiership, you think he'd be all for a system that ignores the people to cater for a few elites. Maybe it's actually that Johnson would prefer it was a global Super League that only takes place in England. Look, I'm not going to pretend to understand football, or deny that I heard the term European Super League on the news, and automatically assumed it'd be a Marvel-style game where each team has at least one robot, one dog in a cape and one alien on its side, and they all have to play in space. But what is clear is that the plans for six Premier League clubs to join this new midweek competition have made fans very upset that their teams are following the greedy pursuit of money. And fair play, as that is blatant plagiarism of the sport in Westminster, and really they should stick to their own kicky one. It would be nice to think the reason the government are angry about this is because they actually cared for those who love football. But as the culture secretary and cartoon mascot for melanomas, Oliver Dowden, insisted that any major decision about the sport needs to have the fans backing, you wonder why he's got no interest in politics working in the same way. 
The culture secretary said that he joined the roars of outrage expressed about it, which I can imagine was like having a kazoo as part of a brass band, and that the government will do whatever it takes to stop the breakaway league, which based on the last time they said that about anything means a lot of people will die in the process, so hey I guess it'll be not too dissimilar to the World Cup. A Department for Culture, Media and Sport official, you know that bit of the government that collects together all the areas it's ignored most in the past year, said that they've noticed that German clubs aren't taking part in the Super League and so will be looking at the model they've used. Oh, I see. So now Germany doesn't want to be included in something they're worth listening to, are they? Only one of the six clubs joining the league is owned by a British organisation, so if anything, you'd expect that any second now International Development Secretary and plastic bag in a slight breeze, Liz Truss, would be announcing this as a post-Brexit success before trying to sell off the last team to North Korea along with six bags of Somerset Brie in order to seal the deal. Labour leader and AF70 automatic binding punching perforator machine Keir Starmer said, and I quote, The reason why football is the most important and loved sport across the globe is because it's a simple game anyone can play and anyone can enjoy. Which is exactly the sort of thing someone might say if they'd never ever heard of football before. Starmer said the Super League pulls up the drawbridge, diminishes competition and ignores fans. You know, just weeks after Labour parachuted an unsuitable candidate into Hartlepool against the constituency Labour Party's wishes and blocked the selected Liverpool mayoral candidates from running at all. I'm not, of course, saying that MPs and football players are the same. God, no. I mean, as we've seen from Marcus Rashford, footballers can actually get useful policies pushed through, whereas MPs just seem forever intent on playing their own game and moving the goalposts for everyone else. It's just that I bet if this Super League was run by a family member of the Health Secretary and Human Worry Lines, Matt Hancock, then the government would have already drained the last dregs of finances from education or health or something in order to get another friend's company to build unsafe mega stadiums and then pack thousands of people into them into the midst of a pandemic before insisting the fifth wave and two million deaths that followed were to do with a variant that only infects those that are poor enough to deserve it and anyone that didn't think so wasn't a patriot. And maybe that is it. By pretending they have conviction on something, it might distract from the situation currently happening at Whitehall, aka Greensill HQ, where it seems if you're a civil servant or minister who hasn't worked for the now defunct financial services company, then you must be feeling like the last to be picked for the team, even if that team wouldn't be able to take part in the European Super League, as that would require at least some level of transparent competition. Yes, it seems former Prime Minister and silly putty accident David Cameron has done one useful thing in his entire life, which has been so shit at attempted lobbying that it's blown open even more evidence that Whitehall is far less a democratic institution but a long-running series of My Little Crony. While Davy Swellface was whining and dining with government ministers to get them to give his new business fam some dosh, it seems a top civil servant was also working for Greensill while still on the government payroll. So it must be nice for Cameron to see that his career influenced someone. It's pretty common for civil servants to have second jobs because God knows working for MPs can't be fulfilling, especially if it's one of the bullying ones. But Lord Eric Pickles, part man, part swollen knee, is the chair of the Advisory Committee on Business Appointments and he said this case has breached government guidelines and more that there are no boundaries between the civil service and private sector. And no wonder he's aware of that as Pickles himself is president of an enterprise forum that boasts of its access to government ministers, a conflict of interest that he's never ever bothered to declare. Still, I guess that proves he's an expert in it all, doesn't it? Conservative MPs voted down a Labour motion to have a parliamentary inquiry into the lobbying scandal, and I guess that's fair as why would you waste the time and money when it's like having an inquiry into if the sky is blue or if it's ever worth watching ITV2. The biggest issue is that under parliamentary code, none of this is improper in any way. Environment Secretary and besuited Woodlouse George Eustace said that on the face of it, David Cameron has done nothing wrong, though he didn't say which of his faces that was. 
And when it was revealed that Matt Hancock has shares in a company that his sister owns and was given a lucrative three-year contract with NHS Wales for confidential waste destruction, aka shredding documents, a government spokesperson just said that the health secretary too had done nothing wrong. And I suppose to be fair, if I really wanted some important documents destroyed or lost or accidentally put in the recycling, then I'd entrust a family member to do it as well, as they are experts at that sort of thing. Former chief scientist and like if someone squished and dried out Hugh Grant, Sir David King, accused the government this week of privatising the NHS by stealth, which I don't agree with as it's not stealthy at all. They have all the stealth skills of a ninja dressed in a plink fluorescent shell suit playing a vuvuzela. It's clear the entire financial situation of the health service is now dependent on just how many relatives Matt Hancock has. Of course, on the surface, nothing was wrong about any of these things, and that's because it's the surface, and buried deep below is where you find all the dodgy shit somewhere in the ditch Johnson refused to die in a few years ago, as it might have drawn unwanted attention to it. Nothing is wrong as long as the right wrong people are doing it, you see, and the right wrong people are in charge of it, monitoring it, and writing the rules about exactly what isn't a wrong in the first place. It's like trying to bring a universal code of human rights that prohibits torture to Dante's seven circles of hell. It does make you wonder why anyone bothers when having watched The Untouchables, the only way any of this will be brought down is if a top conservative evaded taxes and then, ah, ah no wait, ah well, not sure what's left then. Six opposition parties have signed a letter to urge the Speaker and Ardman Animation, Lindsay Hoyle, to allow a parliamentary vote on an inquiry into Boris Johnson's consistent failure, to be honest. As if it was somehow passed, the government wouldn't just do the inquiry themselves and then announce the results during a press conference where everyone's pants are visibly on fire. To say the result is, the Prime Minister said he's never lied, not even once, and so that's that. The letter was signed by leaders of the Green Party, SNP, Liberal Democrats, Plaid Cymru, SDLP and Alliance parties, but not by Keir Starmer, as apparently Labour don't sign up to initiatives launched by other parties. You know, unless it's inadequate Covid restrictions like sending children back to schools too soon. It's an odd decision after a week where Labour shadow ministers have been on every TV interview, article and tweet, complaining about endemic Tory sleaze, but when asked to do something about it, they'd rather just leave it alone. The party has become the physical manifestation of online campaigning, where they're very happy to point the finger at others, but if asked what it is that they're going to do about it, they tell you that if you don't know, then it's not worth having this conversation, and then block you. Thankfully, the UN have stepped up to be the official opposition to the government this week, like when someone's parents have to stop a playground fight because all the teachers and pupils see it so often they've got scrap blindness. They condemned the recently released race report and said that it was stunning to read a report in 2021 that repackages racist tropes and stereotypes into fact, twisting data and misapplying stats. Yeah, I mean, have you met our government before? You basically summed up the last decade of British leadership. It's like a pro-guide to dog-whistle fiction. The UN say that the report normalises white supremacy and could fuel racism in the UK, as if it doesn't already run on constantly renewable energy. They have advised that the British government scrap the report, but I doubt they'll listen to them because, you know, they're all foreigners. In Scotland, the parties have started to campaign for the election in May, with SNP leader and Sticklebrick figure Nicola Sturgeon promising transformational NHS funding, though she hasn't said what it will transform into, especially as it's not long been turned from public health service into Matt Hancock's family estate. Both the SNP and Greens have said that people should get a say on what a post-pandemic country looks like through an independence referendum, but opponents have said that's undermining the recovery because, as we all know, we won't have returned to normality until the public is as ignored again as they were beforehand. The Scottish Rewilding Alliance are urging parties to commit to making Scotland the first rewilding nation, reintroducing animals that were previously extinct in the country, you know, like the Scottish Labour Party. The UK government is taking Scottish Parliament to court over its unanimous passing of two bills, including the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child, which sets out the human rights for children. 
Number 10 are worried it goes beyond the scope of devolved powers, but I'm sure it's mainly because if it went through, there'd be pressure on all of the UK to put it into domestic law, and that could directly threaten the Prime Minister as he'd have to spend all of his time avoiding his newly empowered hordes of offspring. Home Secretary and large angry wasp Priti Patel has warned Facebook that their new privacy and encryption plans must not hamper the police's ability to tackle abhorrent criminal acts, you know, like candlelit vigils or doing an annoying protest. Patel herself was found by two court judges to have breached human rights rules by failing to ensure deaths in immigration centres were properly investigated, rather than Patel just adding another notch to the markings on her office wall. The judges found the Home Office's policies that fail to get evidence from those who may have relevant information about a death in detention to be legally deficient, which is funny as that's also what it says in Patel's Tinder bio. On a similar lack of caring note, the Home Office has also stopped recording how many Windrush victims have died before receiving compensation, as that way they can't be scrutinised for it. I mean, why not just stop recording numbers of claimants altogether, or compensation figures, and whenever someone asks about it, just shrug and say, I don't know, until they all go away. I mean, why do any work at all when the entire Home Office could operate on an out-of-office auto-reply that just says, ask someone else? The Equality and Human Rights Commission have warned that vaccine passports could create a two-tier society, but that's at least one to two tiers less than we have now, so if anything, it would be an improvement. University students have been told they can return to -to face-to-face lessons on May the 17th, which, based on when I was a student, is just in time for -to face-to-face lessons to stop, exams to begin, and then everyone to go home a week or two later. The Prime Minister has cancelled his trip to India due to a massive rise in cases there and a new variant that has already been discovered in the UK as the country wasn't on the travel ban list until after Johnson said he wouldn't be visiting, as though if even he won't go there, it's got to be bad. He's like the country's stupid lard canary. And lastly, Keir Starmer has been condemned by environmental activists for choosing to fly to Edinburgh Airport, before then complaining in a campaign advert that the airport was empty, you know, in the middle of a pandemic with a travel ban. I suppose Starmer was just desperate for something that he was involved in to actually take off. And a barbie shouty landlord of a pub in Bath threw Starmer out of his venue during the Labour leader's visit to the city, complaining that he'd failed to ask the questions that needed asking about the pandemic. Which isn't really fair to Starmer, as actually he's equally failed to ask the questions that needed asking about anything at all. Hello, Parpol Broads. Yes, I did jokes about football and I don't even understand the offside rule. I'm sorry, it won't happen again. Apologies to all of you who do like football uh, for my jokes that must have had all the nuanced understanding of the situation that you'd get from watching a Fox News special on saying actual facts in a quiet voice. I'm hoping this week's show uh, makes even a vague bit of sense because I'll be honest, I've got no idea. No idea what I've written, no idea what I've said. My agent had us up for two and a half hours last night because she'd had a nightmare about flies. Yep, uh, the insect ones, not like not being able to do her trousers up. Uh, I've had those nightmares though, they are awful. Um, but no, she was uh, proper little insect flies. Apparently they were angry with her because she scratched one of them. And look, I don't do dream analysis, but if that part of that dream is that she has the speed and skill to scratch a fly, that feels like a prophecy of dormant superpowers. I'm just saying. Um, And no, that sort of reasoning with her didn't help at 3am. I've been to places outside my area this past week. I've had sandwiches I haven't made myself and I got annoyed with other people just like I used to back in the day. Ah, it's nice, isn't it? I've been really missing other people and it only took me a week to realise just how annoying they can be as they stand in the middle of a narrow path or fail to indicate while driving or litter and, you know, just be shit. And uh, I've already said two or three times that maybe I miss lockdown after all. I used to think that a big way to combat the issues of loneliness in Britain would just be to facilitate people who suffered from it um, in getting on a bus during rush hour and I reckon it would be minutes before they crave their own company again. Uh, I am being facetious. It is nice really, isn't it? Sort of.
kind of. Be nicer if there weren't so many people about. Anyway, um, I'll keep my rambling short this week um, as the interviews are long and I have no brain. So, uh, big time thanks to Death Boy, Joe H, H and Kofi supporter, who I think is a different Kofi supporter to the other ones who donate under that name. Parents are so unoriginal nowadays, huh? Anyway, um, big time thanks for donating to the Kofi this week. That money will have gone to at least one nice sandwich that I didn't have to make and I very much appreciate that. Obviously, if you'd like to help me get nice sandwiches or you just enjoy this podcast so much you think it's worth at least a pound, dollar, yen or singular coin of your choice then please pop them singular coins in the digital slot that resides at ko-fi.com forward slash bro join the patreon.com forward slash bro page or the ACOS supporter button uh, you can of course just review the show or tell other people to listen to it which costs nothing kindness costs zilch apparently but it also doesn't stop you feeling hungry unless you're being extra kind and also buying me a sandwich thanks um, two very quick things that I forgot last week uh, one is thanks to excellent comedian type and host of Quantum Leopard James Ross who you can find on Twitter at James Ross Comedy um, as one of the taglines uh, to a gag that I did last week was actually from his reply to me on Twitter and I only realised it wasn't from my head afterwards which is naughty plagiarising me um, that is terrible sometimes it does just happen uh, I'm very sorry um, also I forgot to thank uh, Rhiannon for helping get Diana Shalai uh, as the guest for last week's show so thanks for that too um, basically I've been a massively ungrateful git but I've had some nice sandwiches so I think it all balances out doesn't it that's sort of like supporting the economy or something anyway uh, on this week's show former podcast guest from way back in 2017 Matt Fulton from Progressive Politics Northern Ireland uh, is back on the show and talks to me all about things kicking off over there uh, that if you're in England you'll only have heard about as item number five on the news like it's a passing thought or someone they forgot to thank for something on the previous episode Uh, plus there is some stuff in the middle about privatisation which is publicly available uh, because I wasn't clever enough to save time and outsource it The way that Westminster politicians and most of British media treat Northern Ireland is a lot like how I treat postage and packaging on things I want to buy online. You know, forgetting it exists until I go to pay, and suddenly there's these extra costs I hadn't even begun to consider, and ah, now I'm really annoyed that something's made my plans more complicated, rather than understand that it's my fault for refusing to acknowledge that magical teleportation doesn't exist yet. If you were to count the ways in which Northern Ireland has been neglected by successive British governments over the centuries, you'd need more fingers than a sponge biscuit factory. But in the last few alone, it's felt the Conservatives have really tried their best to ignore that part of the union in the hope that it just goes away and gets on with it. Warnings about Brexit reigniting sectarian violence or leading to border control issues were met with the sort of debating tactics you'd only learn from teachers that will tell you you have Jedi mind powers because your parents are paying them too much to disagree. Oh, but there isn't a border in the Irish Sea, yelped Brandon Lewis, the latest Secretary of State for Northern Ireland reboot with barely any consideration taken for the original narrative. He shouted that on January the 1st as there was indeed a border in the Irish Sea. Shows how often he bothered to visit. Shed jellyfish skin Michael Gove said that food shortages were all just part of leaving the European Union, though I suppose for him causing another famine would be a return to Britain's glory days. And of course, issues with the Northern Ireland Protocol are all the EU's fault for being so petty as to want the British government not to break international law. Jeez, what total jobs worse, am I right? And maybe if international law was more like British law and only cared about England, then it wouldn't be an issue. So whose fault is that, huh? The last few weeks have depressingly seen violence kick off all across Northern Ireland, with 90 police officers injured, multiple arrests and one bus being set on fire. The latter event was the point at which it was decided the British government should maybe at least acknowledge what was happening, because as we know, they'll do anything to defend a bus. So is Brexit entirely to blame for this, or have tensions risen after Sinn Féin leaders were let off from breaching Covid restrictions? Though, as the past year has shown, that is always a great way to unite people, even if it's against you. Or is it that traditionally in Northern Ireland, Easter is a time for increased communal conflicts, because let's face it, after four days of bank holiday, you do start to get a bit bored. 
Or is it that Northern Ireland don't just managed to get an executive and then COVID, with its superb timing abilities, rendered, rendered that pretty pointless? Is this a restart of troubling times for NI or a mere stumbling block in the progress the country was making? And will someone have to set fire to a bus every single time they want Boris Johnson to even remember they exist? This week I spoke to Matt Fulton, who runs Progressive Politics NI, a group dedicated to changing Northern Irish politics for the better. I actually spoke to Matt on this podcast way, way back in 2017, when he very astutely was concerned about outcomes that are now actually happening, and we discussed just how the country was overlooked by the government and British news in much the same way that it still is. So it was lovely to get Matt back on the show to unfortunately have to ask him many of the same questions again just four years down the line. Uh, so a couple of things quickly to add. Uh, Matt has kids. At one point, one of his kids can be heard crying in the background. Uh, and I should say I edited the bits where he went and checked everything was OK. And it was. It's just because, uh, you know, it's kids. That's how they work. So just be assured that if you hear crying, Matt is not being neglectful of his kid and ignoring them. He's a much nicer man than that. Um, also, I am a bit wrong when I point out that Sinn Féin politicians breaking COVID restrictions at Bobby Story's funeral wasn't in the news. Um, it was. It was just in the same week as Rishi Sunak announced the first round of emergency covid funding that didn't really help anyone so i think it was hidden very very far away from the front pages but i mean that doesn't stop the fact that a lot of the uh, main reports about northern ireland leaves a lot to be desired i mean there's a thing on the bbc page today that simply says northern ireland did anyone warn about brexit border checks yes yes oh you didn't Jesus. Um, and also, um, as uh, I talked to Matt about COVID restrictions in Northern Ireland, um, it has now been decided uh, pretty much just hours after we spoke um, that all the things they will be opening up from April the 30th. Right. Now, enjoy Matt, who manages to be an absolute joy to talk to, uh, despite the subject matter, and even throws in some optimism, too. Here he is. Uh, Matt, I haven't spoken to you since uh, 2017. I've been following uh, your brilliant progressive politics and I uh, Twitter and Facebook since then, which is fantastic. But last time I spoke to you, um, last time I spoke to you, I think we're just on the verge of Northern Ireland not having an executive for m- several years. <laughs> and I think we were just talking about, you were just very eloquently talking about how Brexit was really worrying and the troubles it might cause. And uh, I'm slightly worried that we're going to talk today and have a very similar conversation. Yeah. Of course, we're, we're as we're doomed to like repeat the mistakes of the past here in Northern Ireland, and the, as I said, we're we're cursed. Um, they'll be continuously talking about the same issues. Um, it seems like we can't we're, we can't get out of this, but that's just the way it is here. I suppose there's a weird, uh, you know, there's a sort of certainty in your uncertainty. So that's, I suppose, something to be that's it. And I think it's the it's a like a testament to the way people are here in general. Like, see, as soon as there's a disaster or anything. It could be, you know, somebody's been, it could be something really tragic, like someone's been murdered or someone died or whatever, or there's a problem. The, the first thing you'll get is a joke um, on your phone from somebody about something, you know, on your WhatsApp. We, we just, we, we just laugh and joke about everything. Um, while, and some people, when you, when you get people from, not from here visiting, I think they're a bit taken back by our, their sense of humor. <laughs> that will like any anything's on on the table. They like to be joked about, and, but I think it's just how we cope. You know, as a coping mechanism. Me- mechanism. You know, we just if we if we didn't <laughs> laugh, we'd cry. It's, it's, you know, I always think that's like the healthiest way to respond. It's, it's always um, it's something that, that comedians just as an industry do. We always make backstage. Mm. Well, back back when we could be backstage in a video. Yeah. <laughs> um, <back when laughs> uh, like it was you do, you do all the darkest jokes there because the public wouldn't in like them as much. Except for actually yeah. I have to say when gigging in Belfast, always brilliant. Glasgow, brilliant. Certain places really yeah. good at that. But I always think it's that 
healthiest coping attitude uh, possible to be able to go, this is terrible, let's laugh about it. That's it. Like, even at, um, at wakes, you know, uh, you know, after someone died and, you know, there's the thing here, I'm not sure about in England, though, but usually you get a, a period before the funeral where people go around to the house of the ones that just lost someone and you know, there's sandwiches and there's cups of tea and maybe a drink or whatever. Um, but see, <laughs> sometimes the crack there is, is amazing, <laughs> you know, and it is uh, like people that we all laugh and joke about as well. It's like, you know, someone's just died, but we're all like, we go there and we obviously it's about, you know, we share stories about someone who's just, you know, like passed on. It's, it's obviously going to like be different for each each particular case you know um but no you, you do find some at some of those darker moments uh, like we just don't uh we never give up the chance to have a bit of a laugh and a joke and you know as i said it's it's probably the best way to deal with things yeah i i've always been jealous uh, of of wakes compared to funerals are so incredibly morbid and morose and the idea that actually you could get pissed and go they were brilliant let's celebrate their life is it's such a help again it's just a healthier way of being it's, I, mean, well, I mean the first question i was going to ask you i mean you've already sort of summed it up but i was going to ask how how you are and how things are in northern Ireland because i mean again we discussed this in 2017 none of the news here we've had like three bits of news on northern Ireland. it's sort of the first mm. bit of news was there's been six days of riots it's like oh you didn't want to tell us <laughs> until it's nearly a way, week of it yeah, yeah and it's still nothing it was, on the front was, page was it maybe the the bus getting burnt that maybe sort of had a few people going hold on a second What's going on over there? <laughs> well, that was when um, the government went, oh, we should probably go over and do something, which is, yeah, it, it took a bus huge. being burnt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like we were hoping that it would just pass by and uh, we could just you know, get on with things. But no, like here, people, they're, de- they're dealing with it okay, but there is like a bit of a fear now. Like I think these tensions are obviously, um, these recent ones, are maybe a little bit worse than we have seen because we'll like over the like since the Good Friday Agreement in 1998, we've obviously had flare ups and and uh, tensions and uh, no singular incidents happening. You know, obviously more recently there was like Lyra McKee, the journalist, you know, when she was shot dead, um, when she was trying to cover you know, some uh, dissidents, uh, you know, confronting the police, and she got shot dead, and that sort of brought out. Some emotions and worries and concerns and then there was also 10 years ago when um a catholic police officer uh ronan Kerr, was shot dead or uh so or i don't know i can't even remember he was shot you know but it basically he got killed um so there has been flare-ups and you know but that's going to happen no no one acts like this is a perfect piece that we've had here you know and we've always realized that we're sort of close to it maybe boiling over again um some of the same tensions that were there before are still there like uh, it wasn't uh, a handshake agreement an idea that everything's now put behind us it was like let's try and just get on with you no know, get on together and you no know, work towards peace so it was sort of the start of something rather than the end of something in the good friday agreement um i suppose like for people outside of northern ireland they would be easy to understand or i i would understand why they wouldn't think that you know they think it's the end of something but this it was very much the start of something here um so there's going to be flare-ups uh but this recent uh speed of uh, issue, uh tensions and and riots has been worrying people probably more than previous um i still personally think hopefully it will pass um and strangely enough with the passing of prince philip there lad made everything um calm down for a few days and um, because then there was a, like obviously the the trouble is 
predominantly in unionist and loyalist areas. Um, and we can get to why that is in a bit, obviously, but um, it was sort of seen that if they continued with that at the time, it would be disrespectful to the royal family and therefore, and like obviously um, there are communities that hold the royal family in high regard. So I was hoping, I was hoping actually that something very positive might happen from his death and that it, for here anyway, that it would, um, it would calm them down, but I've just read something on on the Belfast Telegraph, which is sort of the main paper here in Belfast and even Northern Ireland. That it seems that there's further pro- protest planned, and while protest is fine, obviously a lot of people are concerned that it's going to turn into more of what we've seen, you know, pre- recently. So that might oh god, so that's very worrying. I was about to say it's, it's nice to know Prince Philip did something actually useful for society, but obviously, um, not, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, it's nice that yeah. uh, something good could come from it over once, but uh, let's not get on to that. No, 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 that's I I made a mistake of commenting on the fact that our uh, one of our local radio stations they went straight away to cutting and interrupting songs to start playing more of its stuff. And I was like, is this really necessary? I know he's like the prince and all, but. Then people started accusing me of being disrespectful to one side of the community yeah. and all like, like, but I'm like, I'm just maybe best not saying anything about it, but as because like then you go, you go, hey, nobody has a bit of a shitty history and all, but anyway, I'm not going to get into it. But yeah, I was hoping something good could come from it, but I guess it's not going to. It's um yeah there was there, there was an amazing one on a, I think it was Radio One Dance or something where you can get the clips of some proper heavy dance music and then it stops to play the national anthem and it's it's very disorientating <laughs> but very funny. Um, <laughs> but yeah, definitely. Let's yeah. we'll save that for another conversation. I um yeah yeah. I was gonna I was gonna ask you know before we we get onto sort of the the, the whys I guess that you know like I said we spoke in 2017 you did sort of I mean you predicted this but lots of people predicted particularly Brexit was going to cause issues is i mean yeah. is there a fatigue that's i mean obviously there's always a fatigue when things kick off in in northern ireland because of of history but there must yeah. be something this time around where there's almost a like well we knew this was going to happen there must be a a feeling of of anger yeah. or exhaustion that you, you kind of everyone everyone warned about this yeah yeah like um we, we we've been saying it longer here than you've been hearing it in other channels throughout the uk and our and the rest of ireland because People obviously, after the referendum results, uh, they started trying to get through the details of what kind of Brexit it was going to be. Um, you know, and then obviously Northern Ireland started coming up um, as an issue. You no, know, with the border on the on the island of Ireland. But I remember, like we were talking about it here in Northern Ireland before the referendum. But people in England weren't, weren't interested. Um, I suppose, suppose like um, like. You get the 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 ones the leavers that just didn't want to no mention it, you know, because it would be inconvenient for them to bring up this big red herring in the room. Um, that might uh be a, a sticking point. Um, but I think just genuinely, a lot of people didn't consider it. You know, maybe didn't think of it as an issue. Um, but here we were saying this is going to be a no, and like obviously it's going to be a problem because you have what's not a border here. It's technically a border. They call it a soft border, but you know, when you drive, um, when you drive south from where I am, you know, you don't, you don't realize until your phone tells you you're in a different area. You know, like you right. get like the little notification that oh, you're now in Photophone like, Ireland or whatever. And you're like, oh, hey, we go. I, oh, we're we're down south now. It's we said here we're down south. Um, so like when you is that not going to be an issue? And that's fine. But um, sure enough, it did become an issue. So 
it wasn't a surprise to us, but I said uh, lots of fatigue in terms of uh, we knew this was going to be an issue, but and I again uh, was sort of that um, everyone else, uh, obviously the I main political parties and the, the rest of the UK had a lot of arguing to do about it in terms of trying to get Brexit through or whatever. But um, no, it just it wasn't a surprise to us, you know. It, it just it just always feels you know, and I sort of I, I joke about, it, but it, it's it's horribly true. It just regularly seems like Northern Ireland is absolutely forgotten by well by the mm. rest of Britain. I, you know, I, I, that's unfair. I'm, I'm speaking for Scotland and Wales there. I'm sure it's not by them, but very much by England and by Westminster, it's just forgotten. And by the media, it's forgotten. And then it only pipes up, for example, mm. when oh, there's a bus on fire, and you yeah. go, well, this is <laughs> everyone's been saying this would happen for you know five years, six years. But as you say, well, yeah, before yeah. referendum. So you yeah, know. well, it's a it is like, and you even get it within England. You know, like you get people in the north that say the elites of Westminster and the southern people in London, you know, and I uh, would say they probably they feel left behind um, as well. So it's a, obviously like within England, there's it's everything's quite London centric. We get the same here, you know, in, in Northern Ireland, people will complain out west that everything's Belfast centric. I suppose that's just a natural part of, you know, being the capital and the main hub for a lot of things. So Obviously, we're, we're used to being you no know, sort of um, forgot about until something kicks off. You know, um, I would suggest that the likes of the, the so-called unionists of um, of people in England, like uh, they want to be unionists. They like the idea of the union, you know, but they don't really want to care about the issues that are affecting even in our Scotland and Wales, you know, but especially in that little Northern Ireland that's over there. Like this, I, I'd say, we we always say that we, we're aware that we're probably not wanted by um, England, but we're not wanted by Ireland either. You know, we're sort of stuck in the middle. But um, no, we're, we're, we're used to it until there's problems. And like, if you even look at the, the, the Conservatives, um, they're like the Conservative and Unionist Party. Um, it's their full title or whatever, but they rarely mention that, and it only came out after Brexit when they needed to, after the general election in 2017, when they needed the DUP to go into an agreement with them. So it wasn't, it was noticed by a lot of people that they started doing that. Um, so, like, once again, like, we, we sort of understand our place in a way that you know, we would like to be more important to the rest of the UK, but we like we know very much that it's only when things start kicking. And I think that's that's maybe a, a a part of the problem and why you start seeing things kick off here. You no, know, with the violence, because there will be certain people who know um, they have to react in a certain way. Um, otherwise, we won't we won't be talked to and we'll be ignored. Um, not a dance, and that's an excuse or a reason, or like, but it is maybe one of the reasons. And there's whole bunch of reasons but i'd say that's definitely an underlying reason is like if we don't kick off they won't um understand or even try and understand the issues and the problems that we're facing here it's sort of almost getting getting them to notice you isn't it, it which is, uh, that's, it is. It's, it's like, a, it's a bit like it's... yeah it's like we're the toddler in the corner like if you <laughs> if you don't uh, if we don't start crying and start breaking things and shouting you know we're not going to you're you may be not going to pay attention you're going to be doing stuff and like, but that's a bit like, like if we don't, uh, I, I'm not saying that's a good excuse. It's definitely not. I wouldn't 
Now I can say they should do it, but um, I'd say there's probably uh, an element of that thinking. Yeah, oh, that's really sad. I mean, I just always, you know, and <clears throat> I'm not going to sort of pretend to, to fully understand people's people's political beliefs go much deeper than just sort of, uh, you know, surface, I, I'm this and I'm that. But, you know, there, there must be a feeling from so many people, especially sort of younger people who are less maybe aligned to unionist or, or, or republican whatever mm. but the fact is you know there's been how many northern ireland secretaries now they change sort of every year there was karen bradley who didn't even understand about the truck she oh, openly God. said she didn't understand that that the troubles. you yeah. know brandon lewis who doesn't seem to barely understand how to put his trousers he just doesn't he looks you know always looks like a startled hedgehog and he, he's useless yeah. and 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 then the fact that it's been ignored by brexit there must be just a general feeling of people like do you want to be associated with Westminster anymore when when they don't no. you know I know the treat and mean keep and mean uh treat and mean keep and keen thing is, is in relationships <laughs> but it does feel like yeah. across countries definitely get, we definitely get that and but we like we know that and that's why a lot of people say like no there's there's no point to us like they, there's a lot of uh, probably apathy towards um Westminster politics here um there's obviously some interest and especially Brexit happened it, it ramped up it was very uh, it was uh, highlighted, but even then, you get a lot of people say we should just be like governed here. No, they shouldn't. You should be. You should be moving stuff more. And if you're going to stay part of the UK, but more stuff should be devolved. I suppose that's a lot of the arguments you get from Scotland. They want more devolved powers, and it's understandable. So when you, you just go, but the the Westminster elite don't get the issues here. So why? And obviously, we we are sending reps from here, but you're still. A, like a lot of um apathy towards um politics in general here um a bit like you get through bread in america everywhere you know you get that um but especially here is uh, the people are just <laughs> have very little time for it you know anytime i sort of tell people i'm i'm, I'm interested in politics they look at you like you have two heads you know you're like why what's the point you know <laughs> and, and and that's definitely like a part of the the troubles here as well or recently where people feel like you know they're not listening to us and they don't care um and if we don't you know do something about it you know and extreme no they won't listen to us yeah i i'm I, yeah i i just i i can't i can't understand how anyone would feel wanted it's it's such horrible treatment i wanted to ask you know how much of this it, the violence that we've seen the last few days is to do with the Northern Ireland protocol. Is it all to do with that? Because I know as well there was a whole situation with Sinn Féin politicians who broke COVID restrictions yeah. uh, attending Bobby Story's funeral and then they didn't get prosecuted or in trouble for it. And I know that's also possibly got something to do with it. Is, is that, is that an, a factor? Is it all Brexit? How um, how does it sort of break up? No. Let me, before I answer, let me ask you, how much has been covered in the British press by, about the funeral? Just like absolutely nothing. I have. I, nothing. I only know that because I googled for a long googled, time, yeah. and I found yeah. a Vox piece. It was a Vox piece. Would you believe it wasn't in main press? Right. It was Vox okay. who did a whole breakdown about the the violence, yeah. and I yeah. I didn't even know about it until this week. So yeah, it's been that's, that's mad because right. So obviously a bit of it's about the protocol and about Brexit, and uh, tensions have been rising since that. So there's no doubt there's a little bit to that, but if it was all to do with that. And the Irish Sea border, as you mentioned, but that's part of that's the protocol. Um, if it was all to do with that, would it not have happened at the turn of the year when that was all starting, or back a few months previous when Boris broke his promise to the DEP and unionists? Would it not happen then? Um, I suppose you could argue that people thought he might change his mind, and with Boris, who can blame him? You know, and like he changes his mind just based on whatever is going to be best for Boris, I'd say, not even the Conservative Party, but I'd say Boris. Um, but 
Oh, it was the funeral um, with the COVID regulations thing. So basically, just to explain for anyone who hasn't listened or isn't aware of it, Bobby's story was a primary figure in the IRA and he died last year. And it was right in the middle of the pandemic. And so you were like, I think it was 30 people were allowed to be at a funeral. Um, but as quite happened back pre-pandemic in normal times, the Republicans lined the streets for his funeral and gave him a big send-off. Um, and then on, on top of that, the, which, uh, so there was like over 2,000 people that were lined in the streets wow. of West Belfast. So it was a big thing. Um, but on top of it, there was elected um, politicians from our assembly there, from Sinn Féin. So that obviously, that including the Deputy First Minister, Michelle O'Neill. So that obviously got up uh, under a lot of people's like that, that upset a lot of people, especially on the. It wasn't just the union side; it was you know people from all parts of different communities were all annoyed about it. You know, um, obviously lots of people passing in terms of whether it was COVID or not. You know, like people weren't able to go to funerals or wakes and things like that, and go through the normal mourning process. So the fact that not only were Sinn Féin and a Republican activist doing this in the middle of the pandemic anyway, the fact that elected representatives were doing it and Michelle O'Neill is part, is she was, so you get in England, you get Boris and you get maybe a doc, your doctor and whatever, the scientist. We get Michelle O'Neill and Arlene Foster every day on our TV telling us what's <laughs> so the no latest. scientist, no scientist on the side of those two. He, so they started doing that after a while, you know, I think uh, they started realizing there was a need for having other voices except politicians, because people, as I said before, great apathy towards like um, politicians, you know, so I think they realized as a more as, as a PR move, obviously they were consultant uh, scientists and, and, and uh, health um, people, but I think the thought started getting them out more on camera more after a few months because they, they thought people might start listening to them a bit more but yeah michelle o'neill she was on tv every day telling people you have to stick by these rules these regulations and then she went along the funeral now if you ask michelle o'neill about it she claims she stuck by COVID our guidelines um she goes oh i only went and died and you know i didn't organize anything in the list but it was a bit of a cop-out um so there's no, and then that's when the the violence started. But that's no. So I would say I would uh, categorize it or define it as the spark of it. But it's not the the whole underlying reasons. You know, there's the general tensions have been rising because of the protocol, the RC border, Brexit, and then that. But there's lots more going on underneath the surface, uh, as as is always the case with Northern Ireland. It's never straightforward and simple. It's not a oh, I can give you a one-line one answer on, on anything. There's obviously lots going on in terms of the left-behind, um, uh, like, working-class societies, you know, like, within unionism and loyalism, since they feel like since the Good Friday Agreement, a lot of decisions and things have went against them, against their way. Um, some of it might be legitimate and genuine. Some of it, some people would argue, is it's just maybe more... Um, bringing in other voices that wouldn't have been there before. Like we're talking things about an Irish language act in here, you know, it's all part of the Good Friday Agreement that obviously you're trying to um, be respectful to both sides and, you know, give both sides sort of equal share of things, you know, 
but I'd say probably a lot of uh, loyalists would think, I suppose like they come from a time when it was more, the Northern Ireland was more catered towards them. So now that they're seeing you know, a lot more done in terms of, you know, they, a lot of them would think seeing more Irish things about the place is probably worth chipping away at their Britishness. Um, so there's that. But then there's also like the fact that you'll know, have people, uh, elected representatives, especially the DEP, but it's not just the DEP, but their prime uh, culprits. Um, they're not doing enough for their own communities. You no, know, they sort of turn up at election time. They beat the sectarian drum. That's you can't let Sinn Fein in as the most you no know, as the main part of the government. You know, make sure you elect us again. So you no, know, basically, United Ireland doesn't happen. But then afterwards, what do they do for their own communities is debatable. So you get a lot of uh, communities that are left behind. You know, especially like I, I think this is a big part uh, of why Brexit happened. Um, in why England and lots of parts would have voted for it. Um, it wasn't so much, obviously there's, people will argue it's anti-immigrant and all that, and there's no doubt that some of it was that, but I would say a lot of it was people that had been suffering through the Tory policies and um, austerity politics, Yeah. but they didn't know why they were being left behind. They just knew that their local, their areas, their communities were suffering, and they thought maybe it was the EU boogeyman. Um, so it's a little bit of that here where people know that there's no opportunities for them and things aren't happening for them and there's they have no reason not to go out and just ride and kick stuff off because they don't feel like they have a future. Um, and like the local and the people that claim to represent them, represent them aren't doing anything for them. They're on the gravy train in Westminster and, and Stormont. Um, I'd say there's also, uh, this is something that's talked about even less, and I have not no no science to prove it. It's just a theory, but I think it's probably a little bit to do with the whole COVID lock uh, being locked up for a year is not helping. Now, like I'm I'm someone that has agreed with a lot of the regulations. I've understood them, so I'm not. But you you do get a lot of people that I even even if they agree with them, they're probably at the end of their tether in terms of can we not like move on now? Yeah, uh, they see the numbers falling and stuff, and it's not, like. It's not just, I, I would argue that it's not just about numbers falling. You have to look at other things in terms of, you know, hospital when I get admissions and ICU numbers and all that. But people just see numbers, deaths falling, a number of cases falling. They're like, can we not get back to normal? No, and all that. Yeah. So I would say there's a little bit of that. And I think you've seen that in general throughout the world um, with terms of like, there's been so many big protests in the last year in the UK, but also in America, like if you look at the Black Lives Matter um, protests um, and then also the Bristol riots recently, I think there's, in my opinion, it's just my opinion, I think there's a lot, there's a big element of people just being very frustrated by the fact that they've had to live a year where you know, they have to stay inside and nothing's been open. And I think that's probably uh, a background to everything. It's not obviously a main reason, but I'd say that doesn't help things. Well, I think there's also the thing of, you know, for a start, I think inequality has really shown 
you know, in, in the past year, because the people that are affected worst by being in lockdown are the people that can't afford to be in lockdown. The people that are struggling because yeah. they can't work, you know, that aren't supported. And, and also I think that there's the other side of things. And I think it's given people a lot more time to be aware of things and see things and be yeah. aware of news mm-hmm. and take it all in. And, uh, you know, I think especially with, with like Bristol protests, which are all about the policing bill, but I think a lot more people yeah. are aware of the policing bill because we're in and we're able to look it up and we're able to see the news. And I think that's yeah. a good thing in some yeah. ways, but, but I did wonder, and I, I shouldn't. I should say I'm rarely gonna, rarely would ever be devil's advocate on the side of politicians here. But for the sake of it, is there something you know? It, it, you only got an, a normal executive what January 2020, and then yeah. COVID kicked off in March. Is there something in the fact that there's barely been any time for this new executive to kind of settle? in and do any yeah. again a bit devil's advocate i'm not saying they would have done something good in any of these areas but is there something about <laughs> the fact that there was barely that. time for it to, to yeah is there is there something about the fact that you barely had a new executive and then everything kind of froze is that an issue as well yeah definitely like i think it's a very frustrating element to the whole obviously covid's no it's been obviously a pandemic it's a disaster but it came at such a bad time for Northern Ireland, obviously bad time for everyone, but like especially bad considering that the fact that we only got government going again, local government that is, or the Stormont Assembly, that we didn't have time to get back to business, that and then we're straight into this pandemic. Um, so there's lots of things that haven't happened that were promised, part of the new decade, new approach um agreement. But then, you know, you can't really you can't really complain, you can't really say these haven't been getting stuff done because <laughs> there's been a lot to you know, take care of in terms of uh, coronavirus. So it's been very frustrating. And but like we have another assembly election next year, funnily enough. So the, this assembly's hardly got to do anything, you know, except maybe like obviously the last year they've had a lot in terms of um, decisions regarding regulations. It's been a very um intense year for everybody, but especially like if you think. The, the the MLAs the, of the assembly they had not well they didn't have nothing to do they will obviously argue they were doing constituency work and stuff but they weren't going and legislating so from then to go from not having that for three years to going into a very intense period in terms of COVID uh, it must have been very strange for them and the part it's not been a normal assembly for sure planning for your next trip. Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And we'll be back with Matt in a minute. But first... Last week, former chief scientific advisor to the government, Sir David King, accused Johnson's lot of being a chumocracy, because uh, they are. Smelling of corruption, uh, which they do, mishandling the pandemic and climate crisis, which uh, it is, and of privatising the NHS by stealth. Now, that last one there isn't wrong as such. I'm just not entirely certain that it's by stealth, unless the definition of stealth now means being undetected because absolutely none of the major broadcasted voices are pointing at you and saying, there you are. It's stealth in the same way that I'm stealth according to producers of comedy shows on television. I mean, they know I exist, but they aren't too keen to point it out, so it's much easier to pretend that I don't. What I mean is that it really doesn't take much to see all the areas of the NHS that the government have fobbed off to anyone that Matt Hancock has had a passing acquaintance with. It was increasing before El Covido, with spending on services provided by private companies to the NHS up by half a billion in 2019-20, and at least 10% of social care spending up too. 2021 hasn't been entirely totted up by the National Audit Office yet because it's only April. Guys, chill. Who does it tax that quickly, huh? Actually, this year, me, because it has absolutely zero incomings or outgoings. Thanks, COVID. Thanks, tons. But what we do already know is that 17.3 billion of COVID-related contracts went to companies outside of the NHS, and over 10 billion of that was done without any competitive procedure at all. Emergency COVID regulations meant that contracts could be dished out without the same sort of consultation or due process as before. Something has been mentioned a gazillion times on this podcast and this week has re-emerged as it turned out Matt Hancock's sister's company that he also has shares in took a three-year contract at £150,000 a year just to shred documents. Something that I'm certain someone in-house at the NHS could have done pretty well. I can only assume the documents contained some dodgy shit and Hancock was worried NHS staff might be able to successfully stitch it back together afterwards and cause problems. A number of companies involved in some of the biggest contracts are ones such as Serco, which has got an amazingly shit record of being crap at health, but still gets tons and tons of work from the government. In 2012, it admitted giving false data 252 times on its out-of-hours service in Cornwall. I mean, once or twice might be an error, three or four times you might say was malice, but 252 times? I mean, that can only happen if you've given a job to someone who's got no actual idea what that job is. They saw collect data and went round harvesting reddish-brown fruits from palm trees. In 2018, Serco ran a breast cancer screening hotline where no one was medically trained and read off cheat sheets to anyone who called. And in 2019, they were fined £22.9 million over fraud and false accounting about electronic tags. And yet after all that, the Department of Health still went, yeah, you can probably have millions and millions in contracts during this crisis where data and not being all false is pretty important. I'm sure you guys will be great. And then, of course, they hired a ton of staff for test and trace with no medical training. And there's a fine line between being given a second chance and just throwing shit at a circo-built wall, knowing not all of it will fall over despite being built by underpaid workers who've never seen a wall before. When Serco got its contract for COVID tracing, it then subcontracted the job to 29 other companies and suddenly you've got no clue where the tax money's actually going and you're being contact traced by someone who thinks it involves pressing tracing paper to your head and rubbing a crayon over your face. Capita got a pretty large contract too, even though they accidentally mistakenly archived 160,000 patient records and lost a contract to run cervical screenings after not sending out any appointment invitations to anyone, so no one knew it was there in the first place. It's like they're the most expensive teenagers on work experience ever. As well as the big contracts to useless arseholes, one of the UK's biggest GP practice operators with over 500,000 patients was merged with the US health insurance group Centene Corporation back in February. 
It's actually a subsidiary of Centene, which there's loads of, and a quick Google shows several of them have already been involved in controversies such as charges of mismanagement across more than a dozen US states. Come on, Centene, they aren't known as practices because staff there are just learning for the big final performance, you know. Control for eight practices in London was approved in a virtual meeting that was only nine minutes long and Centene was never even mentioned and no questions were asked. And why would there be when the answers to any of them would be more expensive than it's worth and yes, they'll probably fuck it up and yeah, I bumped into Matt Hancock at Halfords and he said I could have them all for a few Panini stickers. The Conservatives have very openly been saying since 1977 that they'll sell off the NHS by a policy of preparation for a return to the private sector by stealth. So it's not like all of this is unexpected, but the big damage is in how much has been cut from the NHS. £1 billion in real terms since 2015-16, meaning they'll have less and less resources and staff, which will mean contracts will have to go to private companies to fill the gaps, who will then do a shit job instead, and those areas of healthcare will be unlikely to ever return into the health service again. More privatisation means less accountability for the Department of Health over failures, less money for the NHS, which in turn means more cuts, which in turn means more subcontracting and less regulation, and before you know it, if if there's another pandemic, we'll all be relying on a 14-year-old doing a four-hour weekend shift to be administrating life-saving procedures while watching a guide on YouTube, while Matt Hancock's 12th uncle twice removed and resurrected using ancient magic will have just bought a new tank on the profits. I guess it is stealthy if you're not looking or refuse to peek through your fingers, but if we all just point and shout it'll have a much much harder time sneaking about. So David King heads up the Independent Sage group that you can find at independentsage.org. Last May on the podcast, I spoke to Dr. Tony O'Sullivan at Key Part NHS Public, if you fancy giving that a re-listen, and you can find them at keypartnhspublic.com. And check the campaign We Own It at weownit.org.uk too. And now, back to Matt. Yeah, that's got to be really weird. And and obviously, there were obviously the big changes that were, that were sort of pushed through by Westminster when there was the abortion law and the same-sex laws that all kind of kicked in at the same time. And then there was no time for anyone to kind of deal with that before suddenly pandemic and everything's changed. Again, that's quite a lot. That's it. Not that it stopped some people, like the DUP have been trying to roll back some of the abortion stuff. Um, they, It's funny enough, the abortion and the... Team, uh, the marriage equality stuff coming at the same time, like they've taken their, they've sort of, they given the DUP have given up in a way their opposition to marriage uh, equality. It was obviously a big thing. I think a lot of people that um, were learning about the DUP for the first time in recent years would only know them. They're very anti-gay rights, aren't they? And that's true. But it's almost like they've realised we're not, we're losing this one. No. People have moved on. They don't even want us to see to do that. They didn't want to be seen to agree into it, I think. Um, so I think they were happy for Westminster to jump in and legislate on that. They can because they can tell they can go to certain um aspects of their footers, uh certain uh, and say, you know, we that was Westminster. They took it out of our hands, you know, and but um I think with the abortion one, they've been especially annoyed about that. So uh, they've been trying to roll back certain aspects, and, and, and in terms of that, um, which have went through uh, cer- some readings in the assembly, but not all. Um, so you, you might hear more about abortion. You might not hear uh, over there, but uh, there will be more fighting back against that than same-sex marriage, which they, it seems like they've just given them given up the ghost of that one. Yeah, no, we 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 heard that it went through, and then that was it. <laughs> that's that's as far as you get it was uh that that was that was the extent of the news and we only know it went through because of westminster so again it wasn't (laughs) that's how the news was even then even then it wasn't done for ages and it's only like been recent that it's the wall actually got sorted and 
And then there's been, there was arguments that then people who got civil partnerships um, before it weren't able to basically upgrade their marriage and things like that. But I think that's been put through now. But there was some more fighting. There was, there wasn't, you know, as clean cut as just like, you can now, you know, become married and you know, you can all that. Um, but you no, know, like, as, as usual, even when Westminster just said you have to do it, we were, there were still elements that were against it or fighting against it. How how has Northern Ireland been during the pandemic? Because I know there was like zero, was it zero cases or zero, or was it zero deaths? I'm not sure. Just yesterday was some quite good. Oh, things. yeah, we've had we've had quite a few days recently where there's been zero deaths, um, which is great. Um, not every day recently. I think, I think there's maybe a couple of yesterday. It's sort of like at the point where you're like, you don't always hear about it. It's not as it's not, obviously the the riots have sort of taken the forefront of the news. But it used to be like you would know exactly every day what the numbers were. Um, but recently we've had quite a few days where there's been no deaths. The cases were going down a bit, uh, or actually quite a bit. So they were going um, down quite a lot. Where they're now under uh, under a hundred most days. Um, there was a couple of days where they spiked up again, and people were worried there was the trend is going up. But it seems like they were just regularities so we're hoping we're going in the right direction in terms of that obviously it's um it's more than that it's because it, it was always about protecting the nhs people said um in terms of the regulations that um the things that had to be put in place so from what i've seen i think icu numbers and hospital admissions are still a little too high in places um but saying that that's always been the case for the NHS, you know, um, when you starve it of resources, um, but the government has been doing it for over a decade, um, which is the Tories, um, that's going to happen. And I know health is a default issue here, but uh, too much is um, dictated to us by Westminster and uh, decisions that happen in Westminster sort of have a, an impact on us here too. So like, I, I think in general, the West, the NHS has been really starved. So, um, and you, that sort of fed into a lot of the conspiracy stuff with COVID because people like, but do you have every year there's issues with the admission and or with the ICU um, numbers? And I'm like, well, that part is correct of your <laughs> of your theory, you know, like there is always no uh, problems with that. Um, but that and like, so they'd be they'd be pointing out saying that see, there's no COVID, you know, <laughs> um, there's these, these issues always happen. And it's like, well, the issues of no over like so many numbers in the in hospitals yes but um i'm ranting now uh by covid conspiracists you know um but like the it has been like it is going in the right direction here basically um and today um we're we're expecting to get some dates because um unlike uh england and uh, i'm not sure, uh, uh scotland and all when we were talking about uh exiting lockdown this time we weren't given dates um so you had a lot of people that were frustrated by that i personally understood it because last time we done it in last summer we i think we probably as as england did probably went out of it all too yeah. soon and then we were back into it so um i could understand why they didn't want to put exact dates on things um they were saying it's going to be dictated by the science by the health advice and all that um, which I think was the right, but I think now that we're at a point where people just need to have this so they can have something to look forward to. So the assembly's meeting today, and there should be some dates coming out of that for opening businesses and stuff. Which would be yeah, just a relief. And and I wonder if also that'll help, as you said, if if tensions are at all to, to do with lockdown, that might ease things in in that. Hopefully, way. but then 
yeah, we're hoping, but man, there's the problem is last week or the uh, it was last week when some of the problems were still happening before Prince Philip's death. There were stories about no, uh, no. Oh, there's a protest here for Lisburn, and there's protest here for this part of Belfast, and businesses were closing early because they wanted to basically shop, shop, and get home, um, to stay safe. So I think there's a concern that the economy is going to try and get going again, and, oh, <laughs> and now we've got this, and it's like, could this come out of work? <laughs> you know, not that there's ever a good time for these sort of tensions, but well, yeah, I was going to say because go. you know the, we, the the thing we hear about the the Northern Ireland Protocol is that obviously there's been a lot of issues with goods coming from. Britain to Northern Ireland and that's been an issue but I, mm. I wondered if that's been as noticeable because of lockdown and with things closed anyway like is are, is it gonna get worse if they don't fix that soon because people are gonna notice it more I suppose like there might be an element of not noticing it as much because obviously certain shops aren't open and things like that um I do know like sometimes you go into the supermarket or whatever and you go oh that shelf's empty not usually empty and then you go is that to do with Brexit? You know, you just don't know. You don't know. Is is the reason my favourite fish isn't in here? You know, to do with the protocol or is it Brexit? Um, there, you do. It does feel like you do see a bit more in terms of empty supermarket shelves. Um, definitely. And there's then you, you if you go on Twitter, you get people posting pictures going like there's another one, another empty shelf, and you just don't know if it's maybe that's just. Maybe you just never really paid attention to them before. You know, <laughs> you would just go, "Why are they restocking?" You know, but now you're sort of pinning your sort of your beliefs regarding back to Brexit or whatever right, onto it. So, um, but it does feel like you no, know, you have seen gaps, but it's just hard to know whether it is regarding Brexit and the protocol, um, or if it's just you no. Know, it may have been something that was already happening before, and you just don't, you, you never thought about it. You know, um, so as you said. With business, more businesses opening and uh, more lines of uh, things, we might see it a bit more. But so it's it could, it could be something that we'll uh, we'll we'll come to see now. So how are you how are you feeling about this? Obviously, you know you've you've run your brilliant page of progressive politics, and, and back when we spoke last, it was all about less divisive politics. It was all about kind of ruining. You know, about you know stopping those 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 divisions happening between not just Sinn Fein and DUP, but Unionist Republicans, like politics that kind of represented mm. the country as a whole, and especially the kind of you know when we spoke then, and in, in fact the last time I visited uh, Northern Ireland when uh, I was allowed to travel places, um, you know, speaking to a lot of younger people that just weren't invested in that feud anymore they wanted yeah. to just get on with life and and you know is are you hopeful about a future like that or has this kind of made it worse are you worried about where brexit you know i know there's talks between the uk and eu about northern Ireland protocol now and changing it but where how do you feel it's gonna go the coming up the elections people sort of are used to the likes of dup and Sinn Féin, mostly dup um that's not no get it wrong but there's a little bit from both sides um they sort of uh, are accused of ramping up tensions again because they feel it plays to their base and well, you know fear is a big motivator in making people vote um for a particular party that might not otherwise agree with in a lot of things you know um but like i, I there's definitely I, I even though like there's always a concern that it may result in you know, with people just going, I better just vote DP just in case that United Ireland thing happens that I don't want to happen. Um, I think there is a bit of a more positive outlook um, coming. Like, as you said, younger people 
don't look at the way the way um people even of my generation like i'm 38 now and even like people my age now couldn't be bothered with it a lot there's still some people my age are obviously are but like we're not the same as 48 year olds or 58 year olds um uh so like see someone like i i i know people in their 20s and they're like they have not they don't care about any of that you know um so well my my thing is we just have to make sure we get them people voting <laughs> you know because that's a it's the i suppose it's a sort of a trend you get in a lot of places you know that um it's the older ones that would vote more um and i think it's extremely important you know i can i i, I would have thought it was extremely important in england um and but it's and it's especially important here because of our history that we get no younger people fooding and because they won't vote for the along the same lines um just because oh i, I was brought a president or i brought a catholic guy food for one of those parties you know um and you sort of seen that recently in, in terms of uh the local we had um local council elections last year over last year um and also uh european uh the when we were still as part of the the eu <laughs> when, when we, they were still trying to decide whether we were we were going to be in or out we had the whole um obviously local kind or the european elections as was with the rest of the uk so we still ran for the seats so what we in the local council elections and the eu ones we saw an upsurge towards the likes of the alliance party um they're especially having a massive surge um you saw some more towards the greens and others but alliance are really reaping the benefits of people being a bit sick of the same old same old here um so i would say just guess like but i'd say you're going to see quite a swing to them next year and our we've got a an assembly election next may and i i I'm, I, I would say that they will get a lot more seats they have only got like eight seats at the moment out of 90. I think it's it um but they have been growing every year and recently it's really paid off so i think it's a you no know, they'll be looking to try and get as many young people out there as voting because young people just don't care about the problems of the past you know which is a good and like it's a good thing you, you sort of want them to be aware of things you know because obviously and history is important and all that but at the same point like if we can move on from the sectarian stuff um wouldn't that be great so um i think recent polling showed that polling sort of not great here it's a bit like you know we don't have uh we do have political experts and scientists obviously but not on the same level as you would have like i always think america is fantastic in terms of their polling um because you got a lot of people that are really interested in it england and the uk less so but even northern ireland even less so <laughs> so like we get a poll once every few months <laughs> you know oh, wow. it's like so um and there's like one or two companies that are really prevalent in it um so now but there was a, a really interesting one that showed um uh, Sinn Féin were going to be the main party returned now the the Sinn Féin have never been the main party returned in the assembly um and it's never been uh it's uh it had the slogan it out for second with alliance um, I think there were like DP 19%, Alliance 18%. Um, so that showed us, sort of showed that the, what we've seen in recent elections is, if the poll is correct, of course, is the big caveat. Um, there's a lot of people who are going to be voting Alliance come next year. And um, it's a really important election, you know, next year in turn slot.
Yeah, it's, it's, it's always, I mean, again, I was looking back at the, the questions asked you in 2017. It was just after the whole Cash for Ash scandal. And it's amazing thing that Arlene yeah. Foster is still in her job. Like, you know, <laughs> so you years later, it made no, I mean, I say this, we've got Boris Johnson after everything else that he's done. But, you know, it is yeah. still that thing going, oh, right, people absolutely didn't care about mm. <laughs> scandal and corruption. Uh, it's, I, I was going to ask as well, like, you know, the, the, the you know on on and I'm basing this on on Twitter news, so it's probably even less reliable than than everything else. But <laughs> United Ireland trends on social media mm. every single time something kicks off in Northern Ireland, or every single yeah. like loads of times actually. And I yeah. just wondered, is there is there an appetite for it, or is it more that like as we talked about, young people that aren't so bothered in, in a sectarian in sectarian politics? Is it more that they just want a kind of progressive Northern Ireland? Is it, what, what what do you think the appetite's for more? Um. It's well, it's a good a good question, and you ask a whole bunch of people, and you'll get a whole bunch of different answers. Here. <laughs> um, it's uh, like everyone will have their own view, you know, whether the United Ireland, you know, staying as part of the UK. Some people think we should be a uh, independent Northern Ireland, you know, like and ignore both. Um, <laughs> it's been funny because obviously it has like Brexit has accelerated the talk of it. It's always been there, and it's part of the Good Friday Agreement that as soon as there's a majority, uh, the Secretary of State should call in a border poll. It was always one of my um, bugbears of the Good Friday Agreement, and there's a few of them, um, even though like I, I agreed with it in general. Um, but I was like, why did they agree to put that power in, <laughs> in the Secretary of State, which is going to be either a Tory or even even at best, like a Labour government? And it depends on the Labour government that you get. You know, like You're not going to get someone that's probably sympathetic to calling a border poll not that they have to be sympathetic but would they do the right thing like i can't imagine any tory um calling a border poll at the moment why would they you know even though they don't care as we said they don't really care about northern ireland until there's a problem but they still want to be seen as you know we're the big great union it's the big um it's the image that they have the it's the empire image that they put the show to the rest of the world you know we're all together we're a great big powerful you know united kingdom so that's why, like, we're like, I could never imagine a secretary state calling a border poll. So, um, I don't understand why they would. It's very loose language in the Good Friday Agreement. They just say when there's a majority, they're for it. I'm like, well, how do you define a majority? You know, um, so <laughs> if you're not checking for it, why, not polling for it, how do you know anyway? Yeah, like that's a that's why the next year is going to be, I think, quite important in terms of the United Ireland discussion. You've not only got the assembly election, um, so see if the DUP or the Unionists um, lose more seats and there's more efficient being become the main party, but also if there's a majority there to be seen within the assembly or and like people are voting for these non-unionist parties. Um, but we've also just uh, had a census. I think he's had it in England too. Yeah, yeah, we did. Um, so next year. Uh, I think the results are due just after the assembly next year, uh, assembly election next year. Um, so it'll be a, a quite a interesting couple of months if the assembly elections swing towards a more nationalist or at least not unionist sort of um, belief. Um, but also if the census shows that there's more um, nationalist or Catholic people living in Northern Ireland than there was before. Um, the the bridge between uh, Protestants slash unionists slash loyalists and Catholics and nationalists was getting pretty close. I think in the last census in 2011, there was something like 
45 to 42 or something like that. Someone will say, like, I got that wrong, but that's a, that's a ballpark, so they were pretty close anyway. And they could overtake them in the, in the next uh, results of the census. So if that happens and the assembly swings towards anti-unionist um, politicians, not necessarily because the alliance, they uh, quite the, their whole thing is that we're, we're not a unionist or a nationalist party, you know. Um, so you could argue either way for them. But um, I'd say depending on results of those two big things next year, you could the, the talk of United Ireland would definitely um, get ramped up. And and in the very near future, do you think? I mean, obviously, we're speaking before Prince Philip's funeral. When you said there may be issues over the weekend, uh, listeners will hear this next week, so we'll know by then. But are you, are you concerned mm. things are going to uh, ramp up before they get quieter, or you, or do you think you know? And I know one of the things we didn't discuss earlier is that Easter weekend is obviously also uh, traditionally there's been issues in Easter weekend, hasn't there? So mm. now that we're kind of coming out of that, are you are you hopeful for the next few weeks? I was before I read the news this morning. Um, when I, when I <laughs> oh, thought no. I was coming on here, I was going to say to you, maybe we should have done this interview a few days ago because I think actually we'll be out, we'll, we'll be out of the news again. But I'm worried now um, that's not going to be the case. Reading the news, how they're, they're still planning to go ahead. I did think the whole Philip thing diffused it. I thought, obviously they wouldn't forget. People are not going to forget because the underlying issues are still there. But they might just go about things a bit differently. Um, but it does sound like more protest. I don't know the details yet, but I've read that for the next week. Um, so I don't know if that means they'll wait until after Saturday or if it's going to kick off before. Um, so overall, even though that will happen, I, I am an optimist in terms of I think we're, we're, we're moving towards a more inclusive forward thinking, you know, less sectarian Northern Ireland, you know, and but this maybe is just a bit of the. You know, like when anything big changes and anything big dies, you sort of get like the last little shake of it. You know, it's like, oh no, it's not. I'm not dead yet. And I think we're getting a bit of that maybe in terms of what was a, a darker place for Northern Ireland. And I, I hope that's just what these current protests are part of. And that you know, like come the assembly elections next year and things like that. You know, we'll we'll be moving forward. So overall. Um, I, I am positive that we'll be, we're moving in the right direction, but there's just this little uh, like side note to it that is a little worrying over the next few days and weeks. Yeah, I hope so too. I really hope so too. I, I do also realize that, 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 that not that that would be much of a, a downside. It'd be much better, obviously, if there'd be no violence. But then I think you probably, if there wasn't, yeah. you probably wouldn't be in British news at all. I don't think British news would ever <laughs> mention that you, that you yeah. which would be, we'd have to find other reasons, nice reasons for them to report you. We'll, we'll work on no, that. We'll work nice. on that. I hope so. That would be good. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, well I, I hope, I hope, I hope things calm down now and I'm going to now keep a very keen eye on the election next year. And I hope, it isn't four years before I speak to you again. Um, sorry for not having yeah. you on this podcast so yeah. long. I thoroughly enjoy following yeah, your yeah. Twitter pages and your Facebook pages. Um, I find them very informative. And and I asked you this back in 2017, but just in case it's changed, um, apart from yourself and your pages that you run, Matt, um, who else would you recommend listeners follow? If I mean, just if they actually want to see news about Northern Ireland and they want some good political reporting or uh, opinion, yeah. where can they go? Yeah, I actually think... I think I maybe said to you, um, I answered it this, uh, I, I, I recommended pages that were a bit more along the line of, um, not, what's the word for it? Or they were like funny pages and stuff. Um, and I sort of felt that was appropriate at the time um, for people to get sort of a better understanding of things here and a bit more news. 
I think um, for like reporters and like who give breaking rep- political news and things that are always happening, you can't go like some of the Twitter accounts I follow just to sort of keep on top of things. They're like the Jane McCormick, who's BBC. Um, there's Amanda Ferguson, who's Starish News, I think. Uh, there's Alison Morris. Um, she's a great reporter. She just moved to the Belfast Telegraph. Um, there's Sam McBride. He's uh, from the unionist leaning newsletter. Um, but don't follow anyone else from the newsletter. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's don't it's be it. don't get don't get the name wrong and start following someone else because I swear the rest I don't understand why Sam McBride's a fantastic journalist and he's done a lot of the stuff um, regarding the Cash Fresh scandal. And he really held the DUPs, excuse the pun, their feet to the fire on that. Um, but he's a fantastic journalist, but I don't understand why he's working for the newsletter. Um, they're, <laughs> they're, so I uh, don't follow anyone else from them, but Sam McBride's great. Uh, in terms of analysis and opinion on things, uh, there's a there's a page called Slugger O'Toole. They're great. Um, they go sort of get voices from all around the community, whether it's union nationalists or other. Um, and it is just like articles and opinion pieces, so it's really you no, know, it's really good. Um, so follow them on social media, and then someone I follow, uh, Peter Donaghy, or Donaghy, and uh, depending on how, where you're from and how you pronounce it, um, he's a data analyst. Um, and I, I, it's maybe just because of um, I'm a data information geek that I find him interesting, but. I think uh, over the last year, everyone's become more interested in data and numbers and figures, um, especially with the pandemic. But I think it uh, really informs a lot of things. So I follow Peter on on Twitter because his uh, account's really interesting if you're into that sort of thing. It was great to speak to Matt again, and I would highly recommend following his Progressive Politics NI on Twitter at ProgPoliticsNI, the Progressive Politics NI Facebook page, and Progressive Politics NI on Instagram too. All the other people Matt recommends will be linked to on the website later in the week, thanks to the brilliant Cat Day who types up the linear and notes for every single episode, because she's unbelievably nice like that. What else do you need? Explain us on right now. What politics am I doing missing? Hit me up with your guest or topic suggestions by dropping me a line at Bro on Twitter, the Partly Political Broadcast group on Facebook, the contact page at partlypoliticalbroadcast.co.uk or just email me at partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com. Or you could lobby me with drinks, expensive lunches and loads of direct meetings in order to get your recommendations booked in straight away with preferential treatment. But I mean, have you heard this show before? Who are you? Really not worth it. That will happily take some free lunch if you're buying. As always, it's probably just best to email, isn't it? But seriously, free lunch sounds does sound pretty great. Um, I'll have a sandwich. Thank you. Yeah, another partly political broadcast podcast all done, dusted and in the bag. From where it will be carried to a reuse and recycling centre and each individual sound will be filtered out and used again in things ranging from adverts for brain bleaching products, sound effects for radio plays about having something lodged in your throat, all the way to general day-to-day needs like when you've forgotten a word and need someone else's. If you'd like to recycle your own copy of the podcast, uh, rather than bury it in Mother Earth and let it contaminate the ground with jingles, then you can do so by playing it to someone else you think might like it, and potentially even telling them to get hold of it themselves and listen to their own version, rather than use your phone when you need it for everything except calling people. Failing that, why not tell others via social media to listen to this podcast, or give the show a nice review on one of them podcast platforms which will um, help the planet by... Or, of course, you could donate to the Kofi Patreon or ACAR supporter pages in order for me to buy the correct tools to safely dispose of any leftover sounds all by myself. 
up to you. I mean, if you don't do it, I'll just feed them to an endangered horse and that'll be your fault. So, you know, on your head and that. Much obliged to Acast, my brother last sceptic, Cat Day and Katie Coxall. And this will be back next week when it turns out that everyone in the entirety of Westminster politics works for Greensill and that the company never actually went bust but instead disguised itself as the UK Parliament and the UK Parliament as Greensill. And in fact, Parliament is dead and David Cameron is actually still our Prime Minister. And then we all wake up screaming. Bye! This week's show is sponsored by the European Super League. Once an ordinary league until it was bit by a radioactive European and became European Super League. Super kicking, super goaling, super expensive, even more so than normal football. See your favourite teams. No, not that one. No, not the one you support. The other ones owned by rich dudes. See them playing gold on a gold pitch with a gold ball that means it doesn't kick very well. European Super League for when you want the worst of normal league football but with pants over your shorts. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky, smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.